Hello there. Going through a divorce? Considering one? Sorry to hear that. But here you are. Welcome to Splitsville. You'll find Splitsville to be a pretty unique place. A new world, really, with its own rules, its own expectations, and in many ways, its own language. But don't worry. You have a knowledgeable guide along the way. A family law attorney with three decades of experience under her belt. And now, here she is. Your host and guide, Lee Sellers. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Welcome to Splitsville. I'm your host and guide, Lee Sellers, founder of Touchstone Family Law. And in this episode, I'll be answering another question that many newcomers to Splitsville have. How do you fill out a financial declaration in an alimony case? So let's dive in. So today we're here with Beth Gregg again, who's a wealth manager, CDFA, and financial and divorce planner with Fairview Strategic Partners. Yes, and I'm also with LPL Financial. They are my broker-dealer, and to satisfy their compliance, I'm going to read the following. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member of FINRA, SIPC. Now we got to do it right. We do. All right. Well, today we're going to talk to, about something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is the lovely forms which every court that is divorcing any party requires, which is a financial declaration or financial affidavit, but it's essentially a budget spreadsheet. And they're so much fun. They are so much fun, and they look completely overwhelming to most people. And it's really not, but that's what we'll talk about today. So these forms, for anyone that has not been presented with them yet, are, are created various ways. So in South Carolina, it's one statewide form, and it's the same in every county in the state. So that is nice. In North Carolina, however, every single county has their own unique form for collecting the financial information of the parties. And that makes it challenging uh, to come up with any sort of uniform instruction piece. But whether it's in South Carolina or North Carolina, essentially, the someone has decided how they can best collect the information that a judge might need to decide the issues in front of them and they've asked everyone to conform it in this this same way. So it, it's blanks and, and lists and it's really like asking somebody to fill out, you know, for a mortgage application or a car loan or other things where you're having to take your, your income and your expenditures and put them in a certain format so that somebody will do something for you, give you a mortgage or give you a loan or in, in court cases, provide you with, with alimony. Yes. And it's important that all this information is accurate and complete. So let's see if we can help the listeners today figure out a little bit how they can, can get through this and, and get a good result because they've actually put good data in this form. So what's the first thing you would recommend somebody do when they end up with this blank template? I actually think if you would gather your information first before you even start filling it out, so you need your W-2, you need uh, records of how much you spend, 
which means getting your bank statements, getting your credit card statements, and have all that with you before you even start looking at the financial affidavit. So how many months of bank statements and credit card statements do you suggest that people use? I think at least six months a year gives you a more accurate accounting of what you spend because there are things that you pay for one time a year. So to have the best, most complete financial affidavit, I would use a year. Now, you mentioned W-2s, but what are other um, documents that they may need to pull to establish what their income is? Do they need like their 1099s, their pay stubs? Yes, anything that shows that they've received income because you have to account for all income that you've received in that time frame. So really anything that you would use to prepare your taxes, yes, go ahead and pull. Yep, that would be good. Now, I find that people have problems with the categories that are on um, the financial affidavit. What advice do you have for people that are just sort of going through those, those columns and those categories? Well, I think the first thing is to not be overwhelmed. Take it one page at a time. The first page, for example, that is asking for your income. So when you read it carefully, it's asking for income from work, income from investments, if you have any. And, and so it's pretty straightforward, but you just have to not panic, just one page at a time and walk through it. Again, you're, you've got your documents. I also, this is not something you do in one sitting. There are different phases to get this complete. Right. So I always suggest that people um, take time and, and set time aside and that they sit down with a pot of coffee, not a bottle of wine, because it, it takes some serious concentration. Yeah, leave the wine for later. Oh, yeah, when you finish. One of the things that, that people ask, and I'll just go ahead and mention this, is they ask me about overtime. They ask me about bonuses. They ask me about commissions. And they'll say, like, well, my overtime's not guaranteed. Or, well, you know, my commission, it's completely discretionary. Or, well, that bonus, you know, I've gotten one before, but I don't know if I'm going to get it now. And I have to let everybody know that, yes, it counts. You need to put it on your financial declaration. You have to put on there what you have made, typically on an average, right. for a bonus for all income. Yes, because, again, this is a record of what you have earned and what you spend. So think about it that way. It's not a, well, maybe next year will look different, because that also applies to the budget side of things. Mm -hmm. You are creating a record of how life was in the past year. Mm -hmm. And how it is um, presently, because it's, it's going to be used and, and assumed for the future. So you have to make sure it's accurate. And I find that one place that people often miss income and I find out about it always because somebody else decides to call my client out on it. So I think people need to really understand that your credibility on these affidavits is really important. So this is not a time to fudge or hide things. So if you are actually running a business selling a lot of things on Etsy, on eBay, on you know, Facebook, if you have a booth somewhere, you need to remember that all of that income, whether or not you've 
turn that over for your, you know, taxes or not. If people know that you're selling things and making money on it, it's going to come up. So if you truly have, you know, a side business, and even if it is just extra money or to pay for your kids swim lessons or, you know, for some purpose, you do need to go ahead and bring up that information and put it on there. Because when you take that and you divide it by 12, it's really not going to increase your income overwhelmingly. But the fact that you leave it off will detrimentally impact the judge's opinion of you because they're going to think you were trying to hide it and keep them from understanding the reality of your finances. So really think about anything that gives you income, gifts that you get regularly from a family member, just anything. Yes, if you don't produce the right information, you can create a very contentious environment, which makes it so much harder to settle. Mm -hmm. And it makes it harder for the judge to do things correctly if they end up ultimately Mm -hmm. having to do it. So after you've gotten through the, and and maybe you have some, some tips on this, but you also have to put in what your expense, what your deductions on your check is. You have to put in what you're paying for your social security and taxes and Medicare. So explain how people can, can do that part accurately. The easiest way is to use the W-2. If, if you're using a January to December affidavit and you have the luxury of having a W-2 for the January to December. Otherwise, you can look at a recent W-2 and use that. I mean, we're looking at one month anyway. So what about the last pay stub of the year? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because that'll actually show deductions for mm-hmm. health insurance yes, and it will. Um, uniforms or right. union dues or contributions for 401k or health savings account. And if you can get the year end one, it's nice because you can divide that one by 12. Yes. Yeah. Because what's the max for the, uh, what they take out for the, um, Social Social Security. Security. Mm -hmm. Oh, don't ask me that. I know. There is a max, people. So you're for a high earner. At some point, you've paid out. And you'll notice this by when your paycheck gets bigger. There's a maximum amount that you contribute, and um, it stops coming out of your paycheck. So if you use your March pay stub and you try to extrapolate out, um, you're not necessarily going to have the most accurate things. Right. right. We usually suggest you go back to the end of year one. Yes. Now, when you're doing your expenses, what are some tips you give people on how to make sure that they've covered all of their bases and coming up with the average monthly expenses? In that case, to be really accurate, it's hard to put all of your expenses into the categories on the financial affidavit to begin with. So I use a more comprehensive budget worksheet that is, um, is pretty specific. And that, so would you have them just really sit down for every item they've spent and just try to come up with the category, category it fits? And then if it doesn't fit in one? Yes. I think if you look online for budget worksheets, you will find some that are more in broad. And then you're going to combine categories really to fit onto the financial affidavit at that point. But it's easier for you. And then if you've got a line item that's very specific to your family, tutoring or other child expenses, or you're taking care of a parent, something that's specific to your lifestyle, you can create your own line item and then you'll consolidate it, collapse it really Mm -hmm. into the financial affidavit where the categories are more broad. 
Sure. I mean, I've even told people, hey, write it in. Yes, know, write it in. Add lines, you know. Well, um, there are lines that say other. And use them. Yes, yes. Because you do want it to be clear. You mm-hmm. want people. The thing about when you add it together, uh, one of the examples, a lot of them will put grooming or they'll put education or entertainment and they'll have really broad categories and and I think it helps if people can break them down I do too and in defending that whether it's in front of a judge or with your attorney make a lot of notes about your categories if if you're talking about non-food items then talk about the supplies that you get at five different stores and you've got pet expenses and and their food it might be newspapers and magazines so if it's all lumped under non-food and somebody asks you what that is it's helpful even for you to while you're making your budget to make notes that go with the categories and one of the things that i think can be really challenging when you're trying to break that stuff down is a lot of the affidavits want you to break it down and split it up between what you spend for just yourself and what you apportion for your children. And I actually go line by line because, well, in some cases you can say, yes, you know, I use, I'm one of four, so I get one fourth, 25%. But your children are young and they're not reading newspapers or magazines. So clearly that's 100% for you and your spouse, perhaps, or your share. So you really need to go line by line and be pretty thoughtful. Again, this is supposed to be a true representation of how your financial life works. So you need to take the time. And one thing that I think can be really helpful when you're going through those those lists and you're and you're breaking it down for yourself is really making sure that you can explain and educate them as to why something may be a need and not a want. I know that, for example, I had somebody once that was getting regular massages, and most of us consider a massage a luxury. But this person had a particular medical condition where this really helped move things through their body, their their lymph nodes. They, They really did have a medical condition. And so this was something that the doctor recommended as a way of avoiding a really expensive medication. Right. And so making sure that she was able to explain that, that we got the information from the doctor on how much the medicine would be and how much the massage contract was and what the benefits were and and make it prepared really helped us educate the judge that, no, this was this was actually a medical necessity. And I know when I was helping this person on that one, we actually put it in uninsured medical expenses. Right. I was going to say that would be a (laughs) good place to put it. Yeah. And then when you're trying to explain, yeah, those are massages when you don't like, you know, have a lot of drug charges or something like that or doctor charges, Mm -hmm. but really knowing the why and making sure that if the form isn't going to cleanly explain it, that you've got another way of doing it. So they're not going to yell at you if you've added pages. Yes. I think the more notes, the better. I really do. Now, the thing about these financial forms is, and what you were pointing out, is that you have a, a different worksheet if you're helping somebody. One thing to remember is that those forms only fill out the information that at some way or a court felt or somebody who was working on those forms felt this was relevant and important information. But there's things that don't make it onto those those financial affidavits, which 
are still an important part of people's budgeting. Right. Savings for college, general savings. You don't put a line item on there. Well, you know, we saved $100 a month last year. And that was just for backup cash, or we might put that to retirement eventually. Mm-hmm. So there are things that will not go on that financial affidavit. Right. And that's just to remind listeners, when the court is looking at alimony or people are discussing alimony, alimony was designed to help make sure that living expenses could be paid. So the whole form is geared to be, okay, this is what somebody needs to meet daily living expenses. And that excludes savings. And that also excludes in retirement. So the reason the court, you know, has you do a line item of how much is coming out for 401k contributions is, well, they'll pop that right back in there when they're deciding whether or not there's enough money to pay alimony. So, but it's important when you're doing that budget to understand that And when you're looking at those line items and people are saying, oh, this is all I need or this is what I need, remember, oh, there's this whole other section of needs you have that aren't even covered on here. And it's your short-term savings, long-term savings. Yes, exactly. And there are things that you may not think go on the financial affidavit because you haven't needed them. Mm -hmm. If you're under your spouse's medical insurance and now you're on your own and you are not covered in your job, or you're not working, you have to have a line item for your health insurance. Uh, You might be going back for job training. That would need to be included in the financial affidavit. It wouldn't have shown up on last year's expenditures, but it's something now that you will need to add. If you're returning to work, you might need to pay for child care. And if you have to pay taxes, you're going to need to include that in your financial affidavit. And one thing that I've started thinking about a little bit more is the automobiles. Sometimes because these are, you know, vehicles that are in various states when people are are dividing them, sometimes you really need to take into consideration what work needs to be done on your car that we need to put into like deferred and delayed maintenance. Yes. And so getting your car to the mechanic and getting the estimation of what do the tires cost that you haven't yet put on the car and make sure that you include these because you're going to have to have them to keep it on the road. And if you if you know you're going to have to get a car, then you might need to include a line item for some sort of car payment mm-hmm. Yes, if it's going away. And I find that that's sometimes one that it's easy to overlook. Everyone gets very much into what the expenses on the car are, but they don't really think about, yeah, but the service is just about due and it's out of warranty. That's right, and it may not have you may not have paid money for that in the prior year, so you do need to think a bit ahead, but you've got to be reasonable too. I mean, one thing that people do is they'll go back to their car place and say, "Okay, you know, I haven't been here for a year. What am I going to need to do in the next twelve months or twenty four months?" And get an expert to help you come up with some of these numbers, if that's helpful. It is. And wouldn't you say that um, when you're adding it up, so there's another section on financial affidavit that can be confusing, and it's where you're supposed to run through all your debt. Yes. And you're supposed to say what your monthly payment is and what the total balance is on it. Right. So that's important, too, because, again, when you're collecting your expenses, 
you know that you're paying off a credit card and it's approximately, it's a minimum of $50 a month. Well, you might overlook that even though it's coming out of your bank account and you see it, but you think, well, that's just a different category. Well, the financial affidavit does allow you to capture that. And that's important because if you have $5,000 of debt, you will alert the court that that debt is there, number one, and then show that you have an obligation to make that minimum payment. And that is added to your need. And I always tell people to track what you're actually paying on it, but note the minimum payment as well, Mm -hmm. because the court is going to want to know what you have to pay to comply, but they're also going to know what you historically have paid. So if you've usually always paid triple, you know, the minimum, or your goal is to always pay every debt off in two payments, you're really going to need to reflect that. What are some other sort of hidden assets and expenses that you've come across when you were helping people? I think people underestimate home repairs. And again, it's hard to gauge what might happen with your house or townhouse. But one of the parties is going to have a pretty good opinion of whether the roof is in good shape or not. Or again, you could call in an expert to help you walk around the house and say, okay, if I keep the house, I know I'm going to have to replace two windows in the next two years. That would really be a good exercise if you are going to keep the house to really understand. Don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, great, I'm getting the house, but there's no money in the budget at all to handle repairs or ongoing maintenance. Now, you talked about gathering their documents. So, Talk a little bit more about what going through the bank statements and the credit card statements can do to help them make sure that they're capturing their expenditures and not just guesstimating. Yes. If you're computer literate, you can go to most banks' online portal and you can download data that's from the past six months or a year. You can pick most time frames. I don't think you can go much beyond 18 months. But if you can download that into an Excel spreadsheet, you can then sort it by category. Okay, every purchase at your local grocery store will be consolidated and you can add up those numbers pretty easily. That's a great way to do it. If, again, you have the luxury of going January to December, a lot of the credit card companies will also provide you with that consolidated data. So you don't have to sort through each monthly statement and handwrite every gas purchase. Add it all up. Okay, that's what I spend in November. Well, that's what I spend in July. And and then average for the year. That's a lot of gyrations to get your monthly average. And sometimes you just have to do that. If you're looking at a budget from August to the next July, you can still get it onto Excel and sort it, but it's not quite as easy as an annual. Now, in this day of shredding, I have found that the documentation is getting harder um, to gather. People are paying invoices. They're getting on, you know, if they're getting online invoices, they can usually go back and, and recapture. But if they're still getting paper ones, a lot of times they're, you know, being very diligent and they're shredding them. And so they don't have them. And, and it can be expensive and time consuming to get them back. But the individual vendors' invoices are really very helpful with the detail aren't they? 
Yes, they can be, especially you may write a check to somebody. Well, here's another trick. You may write a check or use your debit card to a company and they have a, a name that you don't recognize. If you can't find the invoice, you can always Google the company mm-hmm. and, and that'll usually remind people, oh, yes, that, that was a street fair and I bought a gift from my mother. Mm-hmm. And we see a lot of people using Square or some of those mm-hmm. readers, and so then it comes across um, sometimes odd companies. But if you can get the um, bulk bill, for example, or some of these gap bills, it helps because they really do break down what your individual expenses are. Because I know if you see bulk, I mean, that could be housewares, that could be cosmetics, mm-hmm. that could be children's clothes, it could be... Even worse are the big box stores, and we shop there for many, many different reasons. And Amazon, yes. And so, yeah, the Amazon, how do you break it down? Well, you really have to go back and look at your order history. But actually, that's what I was just going to suggest. If you see a lot of Amazon charges, go back and pull up your history and try to categorize those. And a lot of those companies will give you individual data if you want it. Like if you have a frequent shopper card, they're collecting your data and they have it and they don't enjoy it, but they will give it to you if you ask for them. So you can actually go to Harris Teeter. Yes, it's always worth asking. Yes. And Costco and and most Mm -hmm. of them, anything that is giving you some sort of reward or perk has kept very detailed data on your your transactions and if you're really having trouble or you're in a situation where you feel like you're going to be really under scrutiny and people are not going to believe you about your expenses you can arm yourself to be able to defend your numbers by just digging deeper and deeper and deeper and again to that point if you start with your bank account because think about it everything is running through your bank account even if you have six credit cards, you're, you are paying the credit cards through your bank account. So if you will just start with that and you see credit card payments every month, then your next step is to go to that credit card and funnel down and look at that detail. And anytime you need more detail, I think it helps to go to the source. So if you're really trying to figure out who all of the, the pharmaceutical bills were if you go to the pharmacy they can print out a detailed list of everything that you have filled that's actually particularly helpful if your pharmacy bill was four or five people in the family and you are just trying to pull your personal piece of that getting that detail will help a lot so i think that the bottom line we're telling people is don't just you know look at it and go this sounds right yeah, no, don't do that. That won't go over well. And again, you have one chance to settle your divorce case. You want it to be right. Yes, and if you're going to go into court, you know, you're definitely going to get half of a chance because it's so confusing and so loud and so noisy that they don't have a lot of time to listen to a lot of explanations. So that document really needs to be tight. And you really do often have a chance to revise it. You're required to update it before hearing. So 
even if your first one isn't as detailed as you'd like it to be, you can start paying more attention and keeping receipts and, and taking better notes as you go forward, go forward. I know that with the phones, it's a lot easier to just take pictures of receipts these days and start saving them in files and, and sorting them later. So if you really think that you need to do a better job, if you found yourself in a really contentious situation or a situation where you know every dollar is going to count, you want to make sure that that document is just as perfect as you can make it. I did want to bring up one other thing. If you use a lot of cash, I'll see on bank statements, ATM withdrawals. Well, that money needs to be accounted for as well. And to your point, if you're using cash consistently, I would keep as many receipts as possible. Yes, and if you're going through a divorce, be careful about using cash because it usually never looks good. Now, if you've always used cash and you've got a five-year history of one party or the other always taking $100 out every week and, and that being their cash, you know, everybody knows that's going to be for incidentals, that that's going to be for eating out or tips or things like that. But you really do want to be be careful. If you start seeing a lot of cash come out, the court will usually make an assumption that you're not wanting people to see where you're spending the money mm -hmm. and they won't really trust what you say you're spending it on. So you want to be careful about that as well. The last thing to remember, I think, about a financial declaration that would help people when they're filling it out is that they are actually swearing under oath that it's accurate. Good point. That's important. So there's no financial affidavit or declaration that you fill in, a, fill in and file in a court situation that you are not swearing is true. And one thing I like to point out to people is this can be used later. So if you've got a, a loan application somewhere that's vastly different than your financial affidavit, you want to be really careful. And, and those documents are out there, and you don't want that to be used negatively. It's pretty it's a lot of information and it does go into a file that is open to the public. So you do want to be aware that when you are choosing to go into a court process and fill out those required documents, they have to be accurate for the judge to do what they want to do. But anybody who walks up to the courthouse and asks to see it can see it. And while most of us are much too busy to spend time you know, going up and reading court files um, for fun, it is there. So think about that when you're you're working through this process and, and be real diligent and careful and make sure that you're going to be honest one place. You better be being honest every place because it might come back to uh, to bite you later. Well, Beth, I know that they're complicated and you help people fill them out and I do too, but a lot of people do end up doing them by themselves. So I appreciate you coming in and giving us some of your tips. Yes, happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Elizabeth Gregg, financial advisor with LPL Financial and managing partner with Fairview Strategic Partners. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. So there you have it, another neighborhood of Splitsville explored. There's still so much to learn here, so I hope you'll tune in to the next episode. While Splitsville is not a fun place to be, thankfully it is full of helpful people, valuable resources, and sound advice if you know where to look. See you next time. The insights and views presented in Welcome to Splitsville are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. 
nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. If you're ready for compassionate and reliable legal guidance on your journey, contact Lee Sellers and her team at www.touchstonefamilylaw.com.